You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. We're going to kick off Colossians today. Uh, you can make your way there, page 983 in those black hardcover Bibles. Uh, that's where we'll be this morning. Eugene Peterson wrote years ago, Rescue me from the person who tells me of life and omits Christ, who is wise in the ways of the world and ignores the movement of the Spirit. Every day, you you and I are bombarded by promises of a more satisfying life. Advertisements will tell us that newer clothes or newer cars or improved homes will make our lives better. Podcasters, authors, influencers, because that's a career now, will tout relationships or hobbies or, or perhaps even different kinds of spiritual practices as the path to, to a fuller life. I want to ask you this morning, have you bought the hype? Have you bought the hype? It's really easy to do. It's really easy to do. The, the promises are convincing. The salespeople are compelling. But has whatever they're hyping, if you've bought into some measure of that, has whatever they're hyping brought the fullness, brought the satisfaction that you were looking for? Nearly 2,000 years ago, a young church in Colossae encountered some similar hype. Borrowing from, from pagan culture and also from some Jewish rituals, there were some teachers that came to this city and said, hey, it's, it's okay if you want to follow Jesus. It's okay if you want to do some of the things that he taught his followers to do. But if you really want a full life, there's some additional stuff you need to add. Jesus, in other words, is not sufficient. He can't completely satisfy what you're looking for. In response to that, the apostle Paul wrote the letter that we now know as Colossians. And it is perhaps, as you'll see in the coming weeks, the most explicitly Jesus-centered, Jesus-sufficient book in the entire Bible. And so as it's been mentioned this morning, we're going to kick off our series in the book of Colossians. Over the coming weeks, we're going to do a deep dive into the case that this letter makes for the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Colossians, in other words, is a portrait of the incomparable Jesus. It's Paul's letter that says nothing compares to him. No one and nothing else can offer fullness, can offer satisfaction like Jesus can. We don't actually need more people promising us more pathways to life. We need to be rescued from people who tell us about life and omit Christ. So if you're a Christian, this series is for you. This series is for you. This is an opportunity for you to plumb the depths of the incomparable worth of Jesus. And I hope that over the course of these next weeks, you'll be renewed in your love for Jesus, your commitment to follow him, I hope you'll, you'll wake up to some of the ways that you may have been or are being enticed to look elsewhere or to add something else in pursuit of uh, a full life. But also, if you're not a Christian, this series is for you. This series is for you. If you're exploring Christianity or if you once perhaps did consider yourself to be a Christian, but now you don't really anymore, but you're kind of still hanging in there somewhere, I want to challenge you to really consider the claims of this letter, to really hear what Paul says about the person and the work of Jesus. 
Jesus is truly incomparable. You're going to see in this letter that, that nothing can compare to the truth and to the worth and to the significance of Jesus Christ crucified and raised again. So my prayer, if that's you, is that your eyes will be opened to that and that somewhere in the weeks ahead, you'll find yourself being convinced as well and that you'll then spend the rest of your life loving Jesus and following him. So let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll jump into Colossians. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would pour out upon us wisdom and understanding, that being taught by you from the word of God, our hearts and minds would be open to receive all that leads to life and holiness. Would you help us, Father, to see today and in these weeks that follow that all life and all joy and all satisfaction are found only in Jesus. And we pray all of this in his truly incomparable name. Amen. Amen. Listen now with open ears to this book that we love. This is Colossians chapter one and beginning in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ, in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our father. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. This is God's word. In these opening verses, as you're hearing, Paul thanks God for what the gospel has done in this city of Colossae. These opening verses, in other words, is Paul's expression of gospel gratitude. Gospel gratitude. And his gratitude is focused on four things which we'll walk through this morning. There's the gospel miracle, gospel marks, gospel multiplication, and finally, gospel ministers. Gospel miracle, gospel marks, gospel multiplication, and gospel ministers. First, let's talk about the gospel miracle. The church in Colossae was a miracle. It was a miracle. And in reality, all churches, all church plants are. They are evidence of God's intervening power in the world, which like a small mustard seed takes root in the hearts and lives of a few and then quickly ripples out to transform the lives of others and really the whole world around them. So let me tell you some specific stuff about the roots of, of this church. Uh, and Pastor Bob actually put together a great little succinct Google document called 10 Things to Know About Colossians. It's a great kind of summary of the background of this book and just some helpful information for you to know. Uh, if you're in a Bible study group this spring, in your group on the Church Center app, if you go to the resources tab, you'll see that document there. Uh, if not, that's totally great too. Just let us know and we're happy to send you a link to that. But the church at Colossae was founded during Paul's third missionary journey. So sometime between AD 53 and AD 55. It was not planted by Paul. It's kind of a unique part of the book of Colossians. This church was not planted by Paul. In fact, as far as we know, Paul never set foot in this city. Instead, a man named Epaphras, 
who we'll talk more about a little later, heard Paul teach about Jesus in another city called Ephesus. And then he went back to his hometown of Colossae and he shared about Jesus there. As Epaphras did that, some people put their faith in Jesus. They became Christians. And then this new church was born. By the time this letter was written, which is in the early 60s AD, Colossae was a pretty insignificant town. Ephesus, that bigger city where Paul did plant a church, Ephesus was the big important city. Ephesus was the port city on the Mediterranean. Ephesus was the the center of culture and the center of influence. Colossae was about 100 miles inland from Ephesus, not a port city. And at this point, it was a couple centuries past its prime. So it's not unlike the difference between Harrisburg and Philadelphia. Pennsylvanians, maybe we'll get that a little bit. Okay, Philadelphia is the big important city. It's the significant city. It has a port. Harrisburg, 100 miles inland, not quite as impressive. Harrisburg is to Philadelphia what Colossae was to Ephesus. But the miracle of the gospel is that there is no insignificant place. There is no insignificant place. Through Jesus, every place, every person, every nation, every people group is significant. Paul is writing this letter while he's under house arrest in Rome. So he has some other things going on, right? He has his hands full. He has churches that he did personally plant in those bigger, more influential cities like Ephesus that he's trying to support. He's trying to encourage in prison, from in prison. But he writes to the Colossians too. Why? Because there is no insignificant place. Because the gospel has really made every place significant. And look at what Paul celebrates. Look at what he's grateful for in these opening verses. In verse two, he's grateful that people in this city have become saints. In the Old Testament, that's language for the people that have been set apart and chosen by God. It's language for the chosen people of Abraham's line. But now to this largely Gentile, this non-Jewish group of people in Colossae, Paul is saying through Jesus, you are saints too. You have the same status. There's no longer this differentiation between Jew and Gentile. You are now one because Jesus has thrown open the doors to the kingdom of God. And not only are you saints, you are, the next phrase, faithful brothers. And the word there is really the word for siblings. So we could rightfully say faithful brothers and sisters. And Paul is grateful that that by trusting in what Jesus has done, these people have become part of God's family. They don't just have the same status in some kind of impersonal title kind of way. They have common belonging. They have a family bond. They are brothers and sisters. They have God as their common father. Moreover, next phrase, they are in Christ. These men and women have by faith been united with Jesus. Their identity is now found in him and all of his work, Jesus' work now counts on their behalf. And so even though They never met Jesus during his earthly ministry. They never saw Jesus either before or after his resurrection. When Jesus died, they died. And when Jesus was raised up from the dead, they too were raised up with new life. When God looks at the Colossians, this is true for all Christians. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your sinfulness anymore. He sees you through the lens of the finished work and the righteousness of Jesus. And then near the end of verse two, Paul asserts, and he's grateful that they have received grace and peace from God. Paul opens a a number of his letters this way or with something similar. 
And so if you're, if you're familiar with the Bible, this is a common enough letter introduction that it can start to sound kind of like a generic greeting, kind of like how we might write, dear sir or madam, right? Paul just has fancier words and he brings some Christian words in. He has kind of a generic greeting of his own. But this is a game-changing statement. There's one paradigm that shatters and a new paradigm that is formed with those two words. Why? Well, because grace is a word with Greek roots, Gentile roots, and peace is a word with really deep Jewish roots, Hebrew roots, the word shalom for wholeness or flourishing. And so when Paul here writes grace to you and peace, he is pointing to the miracle of the gospel. The miracle of what Jesus's life and death and resurrection has accomplished. Jesus has broken down the dividing walls of hostility. And he's done that first and foremost between us and God. The grace of God, the unmerited, unqualified favor of God is now ours. And we also now have peace with God through the shed blood of Jesus. At the same time, Jesus has broken down the dividing walls between people, between groups of people that formerly wanted nothing and had nothing to do with each other. And so now our nationality, our pedigree, our heritage, our family of origin, all of that takes this massive backseat to our primary identity of being saints and siblings and in Christ. This is the miracle of the gospel. This is the miracle of the gospel. As Kent Hughes put it, a poor pagan people without God and without hope in this world have found Christ. And friends, I want to encourage you, this is the miracle of your salvation too. This is your salvation too. This is the miracle of the gospel in our lives, in our cities and boroughs and townships. People like us who once were without hope and without God in this world have found Christ and been found by Christ. So as you start to to get your head into the, the letter to the Colossians, you start to get your head around the background of this book, celebrate the miracle of your salvation too. Celebrate the miracle of your salvation too. This week, ask one person to share the story of how they became a Christian. That could be somebody in your, in your family. That could be a, a friend of yours. That could be someone in your Bible study group, as a lot of those are, are relaunching this week. But ask one person. And if we're all doing that, if we're all asking one person, that probably means some of us will be asked as well. So ask, and if you're asked, share. And then together, celebrate the gospel miracle. Call call it out. Call it out. Give thanks to God for what he has done in your life or in that person's life. That a church existed in Colossae, that there were Christians in that city was a miracle. It was a direct outworking of this grace and this peace that was secured by Jesus. And so is your salvation. So is your salvation. So celebrate the gospel miracle. Second, second, Paul expresses gratitude for gospel marks, gospel marks. In different parts of the Bible, we have these lists of Christian virtues, different attributes of of what the Christian life looks like. In January, we looked at some of those in the Beatitudes. In the book of Galatians, for example, Paul lists nine of them that we call the fruit of the spirit. But the most common attributes that we find recurring in the New Testament is a simple triad of faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. In simplest form, those three marks are the evidence 
of a genuine Christian life. And in verse, verses four and five of Colossians one, Paul thanks God for how all three of those marks are evident among and in the Colossians. So the Colossians, Paul writes, have faith in Jesus. They, they don't trust in the idols that they once trusted in. They don't trust in themselves. They really trust Jesus. Though they never had a, a, a crazy experience like Paul had on the road to Damascus, though they haven't, like the apostles, actually seen the resurrected Jesus, these men and women believe. These men and women believe. It's like what Jesus said to the apostle Thomas in John 20. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So the Colossians have faith. They also have love and love for God, yes. But notice that Paul's gratitude is about their love for each other. Because that love is actually proof that they really do love God. If you were with us last spring, we, we walked through the book of 1 John and the apostle John writes there in 1 John 4, that if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. But Paul here is, is rejoicing. He's grateful that the Colossians love is genuine. They're not lying. They're not lying, like what John said. They love God, and that love is displayed by the love they are showing to each other for the saints, for their brothers and sisters in Christ. And then verse five, the Colossians are also people of hope. And not the, not the kind of wishful thinking, merely subjective kind of hope, but the rock solid objective reality kind of hope. And Paul is affirming that they have, because of their faith in Jesus, a guaranteed perfected eternity laid up for them. No earthly power, no, no false teacher can snatch it away. Because in contrast to this false teaching that is now making the rounds in this city, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, as Paul writes, is the word of truth. It's the word of truth. So these gospel marks of faith and love and hope are evident among the Colossians. But I want you to also notice here that Paul doesn't directly thank the Colossians for that. He doesn't say, hey, Colossians, great job. Thank you for the faith, hope, and love you're showing. What does he say? He says, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. And so here's what I want to encourage us to do in light of this. I want to encourage you to make prayer more integral to your pursuit of community. Make prayer more integral to your pursuit of community. And specifically to do that by praying prayers of gratitude for the Christians that are in your life and around your life. Prayers like this are all over Paul's letters, all over Paul's letters. He builds and deepens Christian community through prayer. And he certainly does that by his teaching and his conversations. He does that by his letters, but it seems like Paul is always praying gratitude for other Christians especially over the past three or four years, a recurring theme that, that the leaders of, of this church have heard, that we've heard, uh, and this is not just true in our church, this is true in a lot of churches right now. This is actually true more broadly in our, in our society. But a recurring theme we've heard is how lonely you feel. How alone and, and isolated relationally we feel at times, that, that we can never quite find the community that we're looking for. We want it. We know it's a good thing. We can't find it. And 
I don't, I do want to say this. I, I do think it's harder to make friendships in our world today. I think there's some cultural factors. Virtual reality draws us away from the the actual reality and real flesh and blood people. So I don't want to diminish there's some cultural forces at play here. But can we be honest about something this morning? When it comes to finding community, we are often our own biggest obstacles. We're often our own biggest obstacles. We have overly idealistic pictures of what community and especially Christian community is supposed to look like. We have deep insecurity about finding good friendships, that we just will never find them, that we'll never have good friends. And those insecurities can make us timid and guarded. So we never really step fully into the relationships with people that are around us and right in front of us. And then it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy. Or so I've heard, I've never done that myself, but you have, I'm sure, right? I've never done that, but this is your, this is your thing. Okay. I, and I know, I know there's complexity to finding meaningful community. I don't want to dim- diminish that. But I would bet that a huge missing ingredient in your life is prayer. Is prayer. And specifically, prayers of gratitude for the fellow Christians God has put in your life. In these verses, Paul is expressing and he's cultivating this gratitude for other Christians. We should be doing the same thing for the Christians in our lives. Instead of only asking God for this theoretical community, this this overly idealized picture of community that we have in our heads, what if instead, or what if we added to that prayers of gratitude for the real flesh and blood people that were around us? We should thank God for these gospel marks, the faith and hope and love that we see in the lives of people around us, because it is there. It is there. So make prayer more integral to your pursuit of community. Pray prayers of gratitude. And I I bet you, I guarantee you in some way, you will not just find yourself longing for community, but you'll be building it as well. So that's the gospel miracle. And that's uh, gospel marks. Third, gratitude for gospel multiplication. I want you to look again at verse six here in Colossians one, because this might be one of the most encouraging underrated verses in the whole New Testament. Paul here is talking about the word of truth. He's talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he says, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing or growing as it also does among you. So the gospel, in other words, is the source of both deep work in people and wide work around the world. The gospel multiplies in us It keeps making us more and more fruitful. It's the source. It's the power of our own personal growth and our own change. The longer that we walk with Jesus, the the deeper work he does in us. The more he prunes away the parts of us that are unfruitful, the more we find ourselves being formed and conformed into his likeness. And at the same time, the the gospel multiplies through us and around us. It has wide outward ripple effects. More people come to faith in Jesus. More churches are planted. More Christians start ministries and show mercy and participate in that mission of God. This letter was written about 30 years or so after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And already, Paul is is kind of giving us just a little glimpse of here, already in those three decades, the gospel has spread from Jerusalem to Antioch, to Asia Minor, to Greece, to Italy, and likely to Egypt, North Africa, Persia, and India as well. Three decades. 
In the book of Acts, which is, which is all about the early church and how that unfolds, there's this really beautiful refrain that shows up multiple times. Several times in Acts, it says, and the word of God continued to increase and multiply. Or in the word of the Lord increased and prevailed mightily. And I want to tell you this morning, that is as true today as it was when Paul wrote these words almost 2000 years ago. That is as true right now where you and I sit in this 21st century world as it was back then. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. All over the world, deeply and widely, the gospel is multiplying. And so this morning, I, I want to call you to become a more globally minded Christian. A more globally minded Christian. And specifically, between now and Pentecost, Pentecost this year is May 19th. It's the Sunday actually after we'll finish uh, this series in Colossians. And it's a Sunday where for really good reason, the church celebrates the global expansion of the gospel. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. They spoke in tongues, languages that they did not know, but other people from all over the known world understood them and then went back and shared the gospel. Pentecost is May 19th. Between now and then, I'm gonna encourage you to pick up one resource. Could be a book, could be a podcast, could be some other things that will help you become more aware of and more involved in the global multiplication of the gospel. We have a great global missions team uh, here at Liberty. They've put together a short list of resources. We'd encourage you to, to even pick from that short list. We're gonna link to it in our Bible study discussion questions this week. Uh, but again, if you don't get those already, let us know. We're happy to, to send it to you. But let me just give you one biblical reason and then one practical reason to do this. The biblical reason is this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your primary identity is this global family of saints. That's your primary identity. Grace and peace to you means the dividing walls between tongues and tribes and nations have been broken down. It means your primary allegiance is now to God and to his kingdom and to his family. So we do, and, and we can, have different political perspectives about foreign policy. Right? There, are, there are more and less valid reasons to be nationalistic in some ways when it comes to political convictions. But when it comes to multiplication, when it comes to the gospel bearing fruit and increasing, there is no such thing as a Christian nationalist. There is no such thing. When, with the gospel, you are either a globalist or you have missed the point of Christianity altogether. That's the biblical reason. That's the biblical reason to be a more globally minded Christian. The practical reason is because the more globally minded you become, the more encouraged, I guarantee you, you will find yourself about gospel multiplication. In different eras, multiplication has been more or less evident in different parts of the world. Over the last 2000 years, the, the centers of Christianity, the centers of multiplication have shifted many times. And so it really is a tragedy. It's sad when that wanes in one place, as sometimes it seems like it might be doing in America in our time. Now, I will be quick to say in this moment that I think the rumors of the church's death in America are greatly exaggerated. I think we have a beautiful and good future ahead of us as the church in America. So I'm not giving up on that yet, regardless of what sometimes the news makes me feel, feel or fear. But even if it is waning here, if you zoom out just a little bit, you're going to see that today, right now, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing all over the world. In the global South, it's exploding. In the Middle East, it's exploding. In China, in the underground church, it's exploding. 
So become a more globally minded Christian between now and Pentecost, pick one of those resources, help, let, let those resources help you see yourself as part of this bigger worldwide Christian movement. You are really caught up into something that's been going on for 2000 years. And by the grace of God, you get to be part of carrying that forward. Fourth and finally, fourth and finally, gratitude for gospel ministers, gospel ministers. In verses seven and eight, Paul expresses his gratitude for Epaphras. As I mentioned earlier, uh, it was Epaphras who heard Paul preach and teach in Ephesus and then brought that good news about Jesus back to his hometown of Colossae. Unlike Paul's calling, Paul as an apostle was always traveling to more and new cities and establishing new churches there. It seems that unlike that, Epaphras came back to Colossae, planted this church, maybe a couple more in nearby cities, but then remained really integral to pastoring those churches that he had initially planted. Paul here refers to Epaphras as a beloved servant and a faithful minister of Christ. And and that word faithful in particular is highlighting the reliability. It's highlighting the integrity of the gospel message that this church has heard. They've never met Paul. They've never met one of the 12, one of the apostles, but the message that they've heard holds true. So in addition to expressing his gratitude here in the face of this false teaching in Colossae, Paul is is offering this reassurance. He's saying, Colossians, you really have heard the truth. You're not missing something. Epaphras is faithful, right? His gospel ministry holds up. I want to ask you to consider this morning, as we talk about gratitude, who are the faithful gospel ministers in your life? Who are the faithful gospel ministers in your life? Who are the men and women who have faithfully passed on to you, as Jude put it in his letter, the faith once for all delivered to the saints? And before you, before you answer that maybe too narrowly, I, I don't just mean people in vocational ministry. Now, I hope if you've been part of a church or been part of campus ministry, I hope you've had faithful vocational ministers, but I want you to think more broadly than that. Because long before he was a pastor or a church planter, Epaphras was just a man visiting Ephesus. We don't even know why he was there. He's just a man visiting Ephesus. And while he's there through Paul's ministry, meets Jesus, his life is completely transformed and he goes back and he becomes a faithful minister of the gospel there. So whatever you do vocationally, if you are a Christian, you you have a calling and you have a constant opportunity to be a faithful gospel minister. It's what all of us are meant to be. It's what all of us should aspire to be. And it's what other people have been for us. So this morning, let's be grateful for how we've been on the receiving end of that. Who have been the faithful gospel ministers in your life? And if you are like me, and I know this will be true for at least a number of us in the room. If you're like me and you've been blessed to have more than one between your family and your friends and maybe pastors, different ministry workers over the years, I just would encourage you to pick one and express that gratitude to them. Find a way to express that gratitude. Uh, For a few reasons, uh, but especially because they're here uh, this morning, I want to share my gratitude for my parents, uh, for John and Lynn Luloyan. Um, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to do this and and make it through this. But um, if if you've been blessed by me and any of the ministry that I get to do here at Liberty Church, uh, ultimately, that's that's the work of God. Ultimately, that's that's the power of the Spirit. That's been formed in me by a lot of different things that God's used over a lot of years. 
But from a human standpoint, that's because I'm the son of John and Lynn Lavoyan. Um, it's because I was born into their family. It's because they, they taught me that faith once delivered for the saints. It's because they modeled uh, constantly and consistently in our home what service looks like and what generosity looks like and what concern for others and not just self looks like. And it's because in the, in the home life that you guys cultivated, uh, ministry was not just seen as like a plan B to do if you can't do anything else. It really was a, uh, presented as a worthwhile way to, to use your whole life. So thank you. I want to thank you guys for that. Uh, you really have been faithful ministers of Christ on my behalf and on the behalf of, of many others too. And I want to just encourage you in that. Um, if you are a parent of kids, that's, that's the opportunity you have there. If you're a child that has parents that have done that for you, that's the opportunity you have there. Uh, those of us that have young kids, this is, what we're, this is what we're praying to God and crying out to God for. But that would be true of our, of our families too. Okay, so we're eight verses in and we've already cried and we've laughed and we've offended some people and we've, it's, we've really done the New Testament today. We've done it all. We have done it all this morning. I hope you already are just tasting a little bit of how rich the book of Colossians is. I hope that this morning too, that you will walk out of this room with more gratitude in your heart than when you came in. Gratitude for what? Gratitude for the gospel miracle that is your salvation. Gratitude for the gospel marks, for the faith, hope, and love that really are evident in the lives of Christians around you. Pray that. Make prayer more an integral part of your pursuit of community. Gratitude too for this global multiplication of the gospel. Be grateful as you leave today that the gospel really is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, deeply in us and widely all over the place. See yourself as part of it. Participate in it. And gratitude for the gospel ministers who have been faithful to share Jesus with us. Church, all of this gratitude is possible as we're going to see more and more in this book because of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Nothing compares, nothing compares to who he is, to what he's done. And so as we now get ready to come to this table, may your hearts be filled with gratitude for the incomparable Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. God, our Father, you have given to us it is a miracle, but you have given to us the glorious gospel of our risen Savior and Master. So grant that as we joyfully receive this gospel, this good news for ourselves, that we would also gratefully, with gratitude, share it with others and ever give glory to you by whose grace alone we are what we are. We rejoice in the miracle of what you have accomplished. Stir in us gratitude as we now come to your table, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.